All right, if you join me on your bulletins or in your Bibles or up on the screen, I'm going to be reading this morning from Genesis chapter 12 and Luke chapter 14. Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, and the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning, and we thank you for this time to worship you, this time to reflect on how good you are, that you're all we need. We pray this morning that we would focus on you and not ourselves, and on your kingdom and not on our kingdom. Pray during this time that you'd bless Brian's words and your spirit would be present to work in all of our hearts. Jesus, we ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. Um, just a, I have a couple simple little announcements. Um, I think it was about three weeks ago or so that I reminded um, everyone who went to the men's retreat that it'd be great if they could fulfill their commitment and, and pay what they promised they, they would. And we did have several, um, but um, several still have not. So that's just kind of what it is. But, and then what was, what was interesting this week is Karen, my wife, shared a, a story with me, a news story, and I'll share it maybe next Sunday. But it talked about how, how men are struggling in American society. And it had a really neat breakdown from like elementary school through adulthood of, of men. And, it, and the breakdown was something like this. For, um, and I'll make up a couple. I'll be close. and I'll give you the exact later. But um, for every 100 elementary school boys who get kicked out of class, excuse me, for every 100 female students, for every um, girl that gets kicked out of class, there are like 200 boys. Like, the boys just struggle way more. And then as you get further and further along, it, what's interesting that caught my attention um, was people um, who are incarcerated. Um, for every, like, 100 women that are incarcerated, I don't know what it was, like 900 men. It's just like, every, things just start breaking apart um, for men. And um, it's interesting the w women pay for women's retreat, no problem. Men, we struggle. It's hard for us. We need our wives to help us. So if you haven't paid, go ahead and pay. If you haven't, what it, I'm not going to babysit you anymore. Um, I had a great class when I was in high school. Uh, I was a senior. It was called CWP, Contemporary World Problems. And um, Mr. Roberts was my teacher. And he was one of those guys that just left a, a lasting imprint on uh, the lives of students. And I bumped into him actually a couple years ago, first time I'd seen him since high school. And, um, and he had a rule to, to manage high school seniors who were just really excited about leaving Port Townsend High School and the, the, how disruptive everyone can be. And he said this to us. I, I want you to be respectful of one another, 
and of me. And when we have discussions about contemporary world problems, it was a great class, um, listen to one another. If something comes up in the midst of class that you have to talk to your neighbor about that's really important, just, just get up and leave my classroom and go do it. And don't have it like right in the middle of the classroom while we're trying to have a discussion. And it just, it worked with seniors. Now I tried to do the same thing with eighth graders and uh, as I taught them for 15 years, and I would say that was like the absolute lowest level of age you could pull something like that off. Um, but it, it did work a little bit. But here's my point. If, if there's ever a time during church, during worship or anything, that you're having a, uh, that you need to have a discussion with somebody, feel free. <laughs> but all I would ask you to do is not right here. Just not right here. And this happens sometimes. It's kind of, I like kind of scratch my head. I'll be here, worship, or up here. And I can, I can hear conversations in the back. And I'm like, I don't want it. No, it's okay. I'll take care of it. I can handle it. I've been a teacher for a long time. All I'm saying is this, no problem. Go walk up the hill. There's a beautiful view. You can pray. You can go walk in the eucalyptus forest. It, and, and I'm being sincere. Maybe you do need to go pray with somebody at 1030. Maybe you do need to have a conversation with somebody. I support that. All I'm saying is just please just get up quietly and go do that a little ways away. I taught eighth graders for 15 years. I'm really hard to offend. Like, I, I'm just, I'm pretty easygoing with so many things. But I think here's the bigger point I'm saying is this, is that we gather together for a very specific purpose. And that's to worship Jesus Christ. And I, I, I need to be crystal clear about that, that, that there is a reason why we gather together. Um, and, and community and conversations are all really great and fun things. Um, and there's a time and place for all, everything. So that took me 10 years of doing church uh, to say that. I just felt like that was the right time uh, to say that. I'm supportive of all the conversations that we have to have, and those are all good things. But there's a time and a place for everything. Um, so we're going to start off January 2020 together, and we are going to do a series on embracing God's call on your life. And we're going to explore that. And um, I, I, just, I believe we need clarity of what Christianity is truly about. And it's easy for us as time goes on in life to make Christianity and following Jesus more comfortable, more convenient, um, uh, of allowing our culture to shape us instead of um, what the Bible truly teaches us. And so we'll spend uh, a few weeks. This morning we will look at the life of, um, of Abraham as a way to show us, to give us an example, to teach us um, what it truly means to follow Jesus. This is important for many reasons, but one reason specifically that I was thinking about uh, this week is that life is not static. L life is active, and it, it's the first Sunday of 2020. We have no idea what 2020 is going to look like. Life happens. There are unpredictable things that happen in life. And so I think what is essential is that we truly understand what Christianity is about, what the gospel is about. And so to be reminded of these things, that, that God has a calling on our lives and that we are encouraged to embrace that. 
I know that the word calling can be used in, in a different, different meanings, and sometimes people refer to it as a, a type of vocation. And I'm, I'm communicating in a more broad way that God speaks to us, that God communicates to us, and he has a plan for our lives. I was reading a little bit of Oz Guinness this week, and he talked about our current culture, he, and he defined it this way. I think I have a picture of it. He said, this is, this is uh, American culture, uh, 2020, and um, he calls it a cut flower culture. And what he means by that is that there's so many beautiful things about the world we live in, in our culture, and, and there are truly good things. But we have cut ourselves off from God. And what happens is over time, cut flowers gradually over time begin to decay. And I think it's, it's worth it for us just to think very carefully about what does it truly mean to embrace God's call in our lives? And it, what it does mean, and we'll explain this more, is that our lives are connected to Christ. And if we're not careful, we drift away. And um, for a short time, our lives look like that beautiful bouquet of flowers. And you can take that off now, Jesse. But over time, um, we begin to decay. So let's look at the life of Abraham for a few moments and, and, and see what we can learn here um, from the life of Abraham. So we've got um, three points that we'll, we'll work through this morning. Point number one is this. Will you hear the call of God on your life? Will you hear the call of God in your life? Um, the context of, of Abraham's life is that um, he is from a land of, of many gods, of, um, of, of, of idolatry, and God calls him out of that place. Um, he's raised in a culture that um, is different that God is going to call him to. And so the story begins this way. Verse 12 says this, chapter 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And so we learn right away is that there is a call of God on our lives, that God speaks to us. And we need to remember that when Paul wrote um, his letters to different churches, he wrote to encourage them and to help them understand. Here's, I've got just two quick examples to show you this. I think his first is Colossians. Colossians 1, he says this. So we, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Christians. We ask God to give you a complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so what we're doing is we're, we're saying we need to deepen our understanding of what it means to embrace God's call in your life. And he's writing to Christians. So the implications, we can forget. We can lose sight of this. Uh, one other passage that, that Paul talks about this, that you may have the power to, there's the key word again, to understand as God's people um, about how his love is real for us. And so the goal then is that we will hear God's call in our life, that we will understand God's call in our life. 
Joshua, um, in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, he also does this many, many years later when the nation of Israel is being formed. He gathers the nation of Israel together and they speak and reminds people that we need to remember what God has done. He says this, um, chapter 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him sincerely in all faithfulness to put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river. And so he's reminding, all throughout the Bible, there is example after example of reminding people, of teaching people, what does it mean to embrace God's will for your life, to embrace God's calling on your life. And so we learn here very early, chapter 12, verse 1, that if you want to hear God's calling on your life, you must know two things that I want to show you from the passage this morning. And number one is this, that God's call is a message that disrupts your life. It disrupts your life. And this is foundational. And this is how we begin to distort authentic Christianity and we make it just comfortable and easy and we, we force it into our own lifestyle we clearly learn here that this is a disruption for the life of Abraham. Abraham um, is part of a wealthy family. There's success. There is, um, there's comforts. He, everything that he needs in his life, he has. And God says this, one word to him. He says, go. Leave what is comfortable. Leave what you know. Leave what has um, created stability and safety in your life with this one word, to go. And there's probably nothing, nothing more that we want to walk away from in our culture today than disruptions. Don't disrupt me. And I started thinking about it. What are the disruptions that happen in life? And I made a note to myself to remind you all that these are good disruptions. And I started just thinking back about my life. So first disruption that was good, meeting your wife or your husband. Meeting Karen completely disrupted my life. It was a beautiful and good disruption. But before, do you remember ever doing this? When you meet somebody that you like and you start spending time with them, you start asking yourself, like, what did I do with my time before I met this person? Right? And I had... Uh, life, life was, was pretty good, I'll say, that in, uh, before Karen. Um, I just worked and was all involved in a church. And in the wintertime in Washington, you play in a men's league basketball league. In the summer, you try to surf as much as you can. And that's it. And then Karen came in. And, and everything changed. Now, let me just some very short um, marriage advice or reminders for us all. If you do not allow your spouse to have a significant place in your life, you won't have a healthy marriage. Any healthy relationship will disrupt your own personal agenda. So the first disruption that happens in our lives, that dis and here's what I'll say, let me back up and say this. If you want to live like you're single and be married, 
Good luck with that, right? Good luck to you to have a really healthy and good marriage when you want to pretend and live as if you're single. It won't work. You will not have a healthy relationship with your spouse if you want to be this single guy and fun bro guy and still kind of try to pretend to be married. That's one disruption. The second disruption is children. Children disrupt our lives dramatically. If you want to be a horrible parent, don't allow your child to disrupt you. Just say to yourself, push the kid off to the corner, give him some um, lucky charms and a TV, and let him have at it, and that child will not disrupt your life. And guess what your kid will turn out to be? A monster. And that's why no one, no, I was going to say, that's why no one wants to volunteer for it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we have the sweetest children. I'm sorry, that was just joking. If you want to be a good parent, it will completely disrupt your life. It will. Because you have to die to yourself if you want to be a good parent. And I, I, I'm just making an observation from being a school teacher and a coach over the years, for many years here in Malibu and different places. I would say this, that one of the observations that I see is parents do not want to be disrupted by their kids. They'd rather pawn them off on somebody else, on the babysitter, on the nanny. They don't want to be inconvenienced. And this taints even our relationship with Jesus Christ. Another example of a disruption in your life is being a part of a healthy church. You cannot be a consumer and just take and take and take and not ever give without that disrupting your life. Being a part of a healthy church will have some sort of disruption in your life. You know why? Because you're going to be over there helping children instead of being here. And most people, including me, we'd rather be here. We love listening to Tony or whoever is leading worship. We want to hear God's word. It's a disruption to serve little snotty children that don't say thank you. It's part of life. And I would say at the very core of what it means to be a Christian, and if you've never experienced this, then you probably aren't a Christian, is that the best disruption that can ever happen to you in your life is when God speaks to you. And all of these disruptions are the most beautiful and good things. Getting married, having a family, being part of a church, having a living relationship with Jesus Christ, those are all disruptions, and they call on you to die to your own selfish agenda, your own self-centered lifestyle. And we wrestle with it. There is a, there is a belief that we can have it all. And I'm saying to you, you can't. If you want to have and embrace the calling of God on your life, it is a full-hearted commitment. That's number one as far as will you listen to the call of God in your life. Number two, God's message is a message of grace. It's a message of grace. If you look at the life of Abram at this time, his name's Abram at this time, he does nothing to deserve this. He does nothing to deserve God's blessing on his life. If you notice and, and you enjoy paying attention to things, there are 
um, a, there's a phrase of words that is um, repeated over and over again. Maybe you caught it, maybe not. But here is the phrase, I will. And God says this over and over and over again, five times. So it says this, now the Lord said to Abram, he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And the point is this, is that God is going to be the person who carries out the calling on his life. That God will do it. That's why it's a message of grace. He's not calling you to, to do life on your own. He's not calling you to do something you cannot do. The Lord says to Abram, go to, to be obedient. But it's all based on God's grace. One of my favorite places that, that demonstrates this, and we'll probably look at this next week, is Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus calls Matthew to, um, to follow him. Here's, let me just, I'll read a brief version of it. Matthew chapter 9 says this, as Jesus passed on from there, he called a man, he saw a man and called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rises and follows him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus goes to the people, not who are morally superior, not to the religious, not to the ones who have life all figured out, but he goes to the tax collectors and sinners. It's hope for the outcast. It's hope. Grace is about God's hope and, and blessing in your life. You can't earn it. It goes to the unqualified. You can only receive God's grace if you're humble enough to accept it. Question number two that we see in this life of Abraham is this. Will you obey the call of God? Will you hear it? Question number two is will you obey it? And this has to do with an unknown future. Will you Listen and hear and obey the calling of God on your life in 2020, knowing that you don't know what 2020 will bring. It's unknown. And this is just like Abraham. Chapter 12, verse 4 says this. So Abram went. Verse 1 begins this way. Abraham, go. Chapter 4, verse 4, Abraham went. Abraham obeyed God. Your obedience to following Jesus Christ comes before anything else. Even when the future is unknown. Let me share with you something that I found this week. It's from Corey Ten Boone. And she said this, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to face an unknown future to a known God. And that's exactly what's going on in the life of Abraham. He's in a place where he's 
comfortable, he's secure, he's safe, and he's stable. And God says, go. And here's what I've learned over the years in different forms of leadership. People want to know where we are going. We want to know. We want, we want to know the route. We want to know clearly and specifically where are we going. And guess what God says to Abraham? I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you. You just need to go. You just need to obey me. Corey Ten Boone said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And the known God is Jesus Christ. Here's what, if you don't know Corey Ten Boone, here's the context uh, of her. She, um, she was living in Holland during World War II time period. Her father was a watchmaker. And here's what just a very short synopsis. Her family helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust during World War II by hiding them in her home. They were caught. She was arrested with her family and sent to a concentration camp. February 28, 1944, a Dutch informant told the Nazis that her and her family were doing this. The Nazis went to their home and arrested her and her family. Ten Boon was initially held in, here's what she, this is a fascinating story. If you were, if you're my age or older, you, you might remember old videos of Corey Ten Boon on TV shows in the 80s, and she was this old woman. But here's what happens after she's arrested. She was taken to solitary confinement, and after three months, she was taken to her first hearing. At her trial, trial, Ten Boone spoke about her work with the mentally disabled. Imagine standing before the Nazi lieutenant. You're at the concentration camp. The Nazi lieutenant scoffed at her because the Nazis had been killing the mentally disabled individuals in accordance with their eugenics policies. Corey Ten Boone defended her work by saying that in the eyes of God, a mentally disabled person is more valuable than a watchmaker or a lieutenant. And let me remind you that her future was unknown. When you stand up and challenge a Nazi lieutenant, your future is unknown. But she had the conviction and the belief that she would obey God no matter what. And so the question for us this morning is, will you obey the call of God on your life? It's a grace-filled call. It's a blessing to your life. It will disrupt your life. But it's a beautiful life. <clears throat> We learn, and not in these immediate verses, and if you know the story of Abraham, you will learn this. And here's another principle we can hold on to, is that your obedience to Jesus Christ will always be challenged. It will always be challenged. When you make a commitment that the call of God is real in your life, and you embrace the call of God in your life, and you desire to walk humbly and obediently with Jesus Christ, that obedience will always be challenged. Let me show you just one example of this. <clears throat> and it has to do with God's promise. God promises in the beginning verses, 
that Abraham will make, or that God will make um, Abram be the father of multitudes, be the father of many people, father of nations. He's the father of, of the Jewish people. And what happens? Does God a week later say, you're pregnant. We know the story. Year after year after year of saying, God, you promised this to me. Where are you? Are you going to come through? How many years? Many years. More than 10 years. 15 years. And finally he says, uh, actually Sarah says, right? You remember? Um, I don't think God's going to come through. Um, have my, my helper woman, Hagar, and get her pregnant. And then it's years later again that finally Abraham and Sarah become pregnant with Isaac. Your obedience will always be challenged. You will always have an excuse to compromise. In the case of Abraham and Sarah, it, it was a timing issue. Can you imagine, right, you're, you know, you're 25, newly married, and, and you're starting a family. You want to start a family, and no baby, no baby, no baby. You're 35, no baby. You begin to wonder. You begin to doubt. You begin to question God. And these are all normal things. Your obedience will always be challenged. Well, how do we embrace God's call in our life? This, we'll finish with this. How do we embrace God's call in our life? And I want to turn you to, turn, ask you to turn with me to kind of a strange place. Um, Matthew chapter 9 and... Um, Excuse me, Luke chapter 14, Matthew 9 is another time. Luke 14. And, and I chose it because of, of its harshness maybe or because of it's going to disturb us maybe or make us think. How do we embrace the call of God on our lives through Jesus Christ? Luke chapter 14 verse 25 says this. Now the great crowds accompanied him and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. That's pretty disruptive. But we have to do a little bit of study, and I'm just going to pull out one point from this to help us understand this. What are these shocking words about? Well, one of the things that we, we need to understand is that the word hate here is not used in the sense of being hostile in the way that we would maybe normally use it. Obviously, Jesus is not saying that we're supposed to be hostile to our family members. But there is another Semitic sense, another Jewish way of understanding this word. And it's always used in this context in a comparative sense. In a comparative sense. And here's what Jesus is saying. I want you to love me more than anyone else. I want you to love me more than anyone else. Jesus is using these relationships that we obviously and clearly love more than anything else in our human relationships, our families. And he's saying, even in comparison to that, I want you to love me more than them. So how do we embrace God's call on our lives? It's we learn to love Jesus more than anything else, more than any other relationship. 
Jesus is demanding something from us that is deeply personal. And he uses these two words of, 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 of love and hate. These are, these are emotion-filled words. And what we get with the story of Abraham, it's a little bit more will-driven. God says to Abraham, go. And Abraham's like, hey, God said it. I'm going to do it. I'm going. He's making a choice to obey God. In this passage, Jesus is talking more about our emotions. You can make a choice of will that is very different than having an emotional response of love to Jesus Christ. What's interesting, too, about this, and as we connect this with my introduction and saying that we have to get Christianity right, we have to be clear. Verse 25 says this, there were great crowds, there were mass, there were large groups of people that wanted to follow Jesus until he clarified the mission, until he clarified what does it truly mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. All who truly believe in Jesus Christ will abandon their devotion to the things of the world and become true worshipers of Jesus. I'm trying to summarize everything with this last thought. The call on your life is to love and obediently follow Jesus even when the future is unknown. To live in faith. Abraham is an example throughout the Bible over and over and over again as an example of faith. The call on your life is to love and obediently follow Jesus even when the future is unknown. That is done by stirring up faith and believing and trusting Jesus Christ each day. My hope and for my own life and for our family and our church family is that we would not create a culture that is driven by our own personal preferences, our own personal comfort, our own personal desires, but that we would hear the call of God on our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you this morning. I pray that you would speak to us through your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would ignite the words we find in the Bible to touch our hearts, to change us from the inside, to make them alive and true. Father, we know that within all of us is a desire to know the future, to seek security and stability. But I ask that more than that, we would hear from you to trust you, to live in faith, to be people who put our ultimate hope and love in you. Thank you for what you're doing here. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.